sponsored by Walters Kluwer Health, bringing you up to date, the premier resource for clinical information and treatment recommendations used by more than 2 million total users worldwide. Visit go.uptodate.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer source and solution focused insights for healthcare executives, with new episodes airing every Tuesday. I'm Jay Asser, Strategy Editor for Health Leaders. In today's episode, I'm joined by incoming CEO of Atlantic Care Health System, Michael Charlton. We discuss a range of topics from Michael's first impressions since taking on the role to workforce turnover, consolidation, disruptors, and more. Enjoy the conversation. I'm here with Michael Charlton, new CEO of Atlantic Care Health System. Michael, thanks so much for joining me today and taking time out of your busy schedule, settling into your role. I'm sure you have a lot on your plate at the moment. Well, thank you, Jay. We appreciate the opportunity. I want to start by asking how the early stage of taking over as CEO has been and what some of the main challenges are that you're seeing so far. So, you know, I've been here probably about five and a half months now, Um, you know, partially as the interim and then obviously as the permanent. And, you know, I would say, um, you know, every day is has been a blessing. This is a fantastic organization uh, that is doing incredible work for the community, a community I grew up in. Um, so from that perspective, it's been a blessing. As far as headwinds and challenges, I think we're facing some of the things that all healthcare systems across the nation are facing. You know, the workforce shortage, you know, we, we like to say here is what's your number one priority and it's workforce, workforce, workforce. Um, you know, our clinical caregivers have had just an extraordinary three or four years. COVID, after COVID, uh, really adapting to to the new landscape of healthcare. So, I, you know, I think that's always your your primary concern because you know making sure that our our clinical caregivers are well, uh, so they can best serve our patients in the community is always top of mind. You know, and then I, I think, like I said, uh, healthcare in general, it's it's transitioning in a lot of ways. Uh, there's a lot of new entry into healthcare from retail uh, players that. Um, maybe don't see the world as we see it. There's regulatory burden, there's financial pressures. So Jay, I guess what I'm saying to you is you name it, we're dealing with it, but we have an incredible team here uh, as most healthcare does. And uh, we're working through those challenges. It's incredibly impactful work, so we can't fail. Great, yeah. And a lot of what you said, I'm sure we'll get into some of those things in, in the conversation, but I also want to ask you personally, uh, your transition into this role, you're, you were on the board of directors where you served as board chair for Atlantic Care. What made you want to uh, take the leap into the CEO position and, and how does your experience on that board serve you in, in your role now? So, you know, I always, I always have the same story that I tell, you know, as when I came here 15 years ago as a board member, you, you come here for the mission. Um, but you stay for the people. It is an incredible organization with 7,000 very engaged, very talented individuals that are all moving in one direction, and that is to make sure that we deliver exceptional patient care. You know, being part of that for so long, uh, building a successful business of some size and scale in our community, you know, that was very rewarding, uh, but I had gotten to a point where uh, the business was sustainable without me, a uh, great leadership team there, and I really found my passion and my purpose in healthcare. So I spent quite a few years, uh, six or seven years uh, with additional education, additional time, really diving into healthcare because I saw it as extremely purpose driven and something that really I could effectuate change at a community level, something that I couldn't do in the private sector. 
So that was the impetus for it. I think my time, not just at the Atlantic Care Board, but on the AHA Board, serving on national AHA committees, really understanding the global perspective of healthcare and how we deliver care and the challenges that we face and some of the solutions that are possible. You know, like I said, it was incredibly meaningful and impactful work. And, you know, it was a life's decision to leave the, the company that I founded, um, leave the team that we had built to, to transition over here. And I'm very fortunate that I was given that opportunity. So um, it's been a fantastic experience and, you know, looking for many, many more fruitful years. And you had mentioned workforce obviously being one of the biggest issues right now across the board in healthcare. Uh, I want to get into that a little bit on on two fronts. One is the workforce. Uh, we're seeing a lot of strikes and uh, workforce unrest across the industry right now. Uh, coming into your role, what is it about those uh, movements that you're seeing and, and ways that you feel healthcare leaders, other CEOs can address that? So, you know, when, when you see these movements across the country, there is some understanding, right? Because we this workforce problem hasn't just been here coming out of COVID or during COVID. We've had a workforce problem for 10 or 15 years, and we've been able to mitigate that in pockets. But the reality is, you know, I, I'll acknowledge that we have a workforce problem, but I think more importantly, we have a work problem. I think whether it's regulatory, whether it's finances, whether it's the headwinds that, you know, healthcare faces at all levels, we have just placed more and more work on our clinical caregivers, on our administrators, on our supervisors, you know, on our managers, and it goes on and on and on. So, you know, when people say, you know, how are you going to look at the workforce problem? My first foray into this is to say, listen, we got to solve the work challenge, right? We have to make sure that we create an environment where our clinical caregivers, our administrators, our managers are not overburdened with their workload, you know, because at the end of the day, we have to make sure that they're healthy and happy um, because they have to deliver exceptional care. And to do that, you have to be well. And to do that, we have to create work-life harmony. And, you know, so that's where I always fall back on. It's not just a workforce problem. It is definitely a work problem. You know, and some of the movements that are going on in the country, they're upsetting. You know, what I say to our team all the time is, you know, we want to be out in front of this. We want to have this this collaborative dialogue. We want to co-create the solutions to these things because I would never want some type of body in between me and the workforce when it comes to something so important as delivering patient care, right? We want to have that connectivity. You know, we, we talk about it's it's, you know, we're a family and families fight sometimes. Um, but we got to make sure that we have open dialogue on both sides of the equation so we can solve the challenges that we have. And there's a lot of turnover happening, and you're seeing it at the exec level at hospitals and health systems, too. It also goes as far up as the CEO position, where you're seeing a lot of CEO turnover, new people hired, organizations, uh, you know, maybe heading into a different direction uh, strategically. What have you seen in terms of the CEO turnover? I saw a report that it's up year over year from last year, even as hospital margins continue to stabilize. Uh, what factors do you think are contributing to that right now? Well, I, you know, I think it's, I think there's intrinsic factors when it comes to the CEO level. Obviously, you got the regulatory burden, you have the price pressures, you have you know, the denials and, and the pre-offs of all the insurance. I mean, the, the challenges, there's a multitude of challenges, right? And I think they the CEO doesn't face any different burden than uh, whether it's somebody in dietary or EVS. And they're incredibly important jobs. They're incredibly complicated jobs. They're incredibly meaningful jobs. And sometimes when the deck's stacked against you, 
um, in such a continuous manner, it gets hard to remember the purpose of why you're doing what you're doing every day. So, you know, I think from the CEO role, you know, I have, I understand it with all the pressures that that the CEO faces. Um, if there's an opportunity to transition out because we've had a very successful career over a long period of time, um, and you feel that somebody is is in a better position to serve the organization, I, I think that's a lot of it. I think the pressures have just gotten overwhelming. But I wouldn't just say it, it's it's our level, Jay. You know, I, I think nurses on any unit can tell you the same thing. I think EVS workers that are overburdened, uh, dietary, you know, EMS, you know, there, there's not a piece of healthcare that's not facing the same challenge. So I don't think it's intrinsic to, to CEOs. I just think that, you know, if we have roughly, what, 5,800 health systems, you probably have about 5,800 CEOs. But how many nurses do we have in this country? You know, how many clinical people do we have in this country? We're all facing it. It's just more magnified at the CEO level. And I want to switch into talking a little bit more about Atlantic Care. Coming into the role, what have you identified as the health system's strengths and maybe vulnerabilities they'd like to improve upon? So, you know, having been here uh, in some capacity for 15 years, you know, the strengths of the organization are substantial. One, I think, you know, you start with where the anchor institution of the communities we serve. Um, we employ almost 7,000 people. And I think from a community aspect, there is no nothing more important that a health system can do than be strong, financially viable, and deliver great care. And that has always been a strength for Atlantic Care. You know, we're a 2009 Baldrige winner. I think when we achieve that award, we were probably the 17th or 18th health system in the world to do that. Um, so, you know, excellence is embedded in the DNA. I think we deliver compassionate care uh, and we have care at such a high level. Uh, I think we support the community, the social determinants uh, in ways that, you know, most people don't understand or don't recognize the work, but is deeply embedded also in our DNA. And I think we're deeply committed to improving the outcomes. Uh, there's 21. 21 counties in the state of New Jersey. And if you look at, you know, what we can achieve in healthcare, typically we say that, you know, the health span and lifespan of somebody is dictated 25% by the health system, right? Clinical outcomes and some of the interventions we can provide. It's the social determinants and all the other things that are going to drive some of those, um, some of those additional benefits. So that's what we're working on. You know, right now, typically we're 17, 18, given all the great clinical care we can. Um, now we're working on some of the external factors to make sure that we can deliver exceptional care outside the four walls of the hospital to improve the health status of our community. So that's the strength. As far as vulnerabilities, I think you talk to any CEO in healthcare today and they're going to tell you the same thing. You know, the fact that we are a price taker and not a price maker, the denials, the pre-offs, uh, the way uh, the adversarial relationships we have from the payers, you know, the staffing shortages, uh, the resource constraints, you know, the, the amount of work that we have to do and the financial resources we have to allocate that does not align. So, you know, I, I think they're the vulnerabilities, not just Atlantic Care faces, but all healthcare organizations face. And I think it's it's becoming more acute as the years go. And of course, to tackle some of those challenges that you mentioned, you know, a lot of hospitals are looking into growth opportunities and potential areas to invest. Uh, what are some of those areas that uh, you could see for Atlantic Care that you have either explored or uh, given some thought to? Obviously, technology continues to be, uh, you know, one of the major areas uh, with AI and automation going forward. 
what have you again identified as, as those areas? So as we look at the growth opportunities for the organization, we're just completing now our strategic planning, which is termed Vision 2030. And that's really, um, it's really a, a longer look at where the organization needs to be from a vision standpoint. So it gives us a six year picture. Um, when we talk about our growth opportunities, we base that on what does the community need and what does what our mission dictate we do? So, you know, when you talk about service lines, you're talking about behavioral health, an incredible need. Uh, the work that is now going, you know, the work is going across the nation and, and improving the payment models because we understand that there's such an incredible need, but the apparatus isn't necessarily big enough to, to satisfy that need. So we feel that that's critically important, cardiology, neurology, you know, all those things are, are complements of services that this community needs to bolster. But when it comes to tech and AI and those things, we're obviously embracing those things. One one part of our strategic plan right now is that we're building out a, a full command center and we're, we're finalizing those plans now. And really the command center is not just to manage throughput on the inpatient side of the business. So it's not that we just, we have a placement nurse and discharge instructions and things like that, but it's really, it's remote patient monitoring. It's making sure that whether it's our procedurals our procedural volume or, or how we're, we're getting access to our specialty, subspecialty, our primary care, you know, that we're creating opportunities now to um, make sure that we solve some of the access challenges through the use of technology. And we centralize that in one location. The other part of that too goes back to the workforce. We want to make sure that the non-productive work or the administrative burden that is placed on our caregivers, our nurses, um, we're removing that out into a centralized location with people that don't necessarily you know, our, our nurses don't have to be burdened with those those administrative tasks, right? They should be at the bedside. They should be delivering exceptional care, providing compassionate care and empathy. But how do they maintain that? And we feel that pulling that work outside and using tech to do that, that's really the next iteration. So they're the things that we're working on moving forward. And obviously, there's a lot of disruption happening in the industry right now. There's uh, organizations that are aiming to be more of a retail experience uh, with healthcare. Uh, how much of that, before I ask, I, I guess I should say it might not be a complete threat at the moment to, you know, traditional providers, but where do you see that going forward? How much of that is on uh, your radar and on the radar of hospital and health systems? And how, how can you respond to that? So, I mean, it's obviously on our radar. It's on everybody's radar. Um, you know, if you look at who's entering, whether it's Walmart, Amazon, uh, Dollar General, I mean, you go on and on, right? Their, their foray into this is, you know, we talk about this all the time. They have the data, right? They don't necessarily have the healthcare data, but they have the data and they have the ability to slice and dice that data in a meaningful way. So that's obviously a concern. You know, I look at it two ways. The, the first way I look at it is I, I kind of project out what is not going to change over the next five or 10 years with some certainty. And the, the fact that I think what is not going to change is the inpatient side of the business, because we have all the human capital, we have the infrastructure, we have the, the talent, we can manage the acuity on that side of the, bit of the business, and we do that well. You're always going to need the health system for that side of the business, right? The question is on the ambulatory space. You know, are these new entrees going to be able to do what we do? and deliver the type of care we do. Now, there's no question what they're going to be able to do. If you look at something like Amazon Clinic, right? I can get on my phone, I can download the app, I can get one of say 20, you know, low acuity diagnosis, I can hit the button, I can have a text message within 35, 40 minutes for $30, or I can have somebody uh, do a virtual visit with me for 75 or above. Number one, it's a cash visit right now, that's one, right? But 
you know, the, the availability of convenience is, is critically important. So I think it gives the health systems in this country the guidance to what the consumer wants. And that, you know, what I could say to you, Jay, is that healthcare needs to frame their, needs to have a different reference uh, to frame how they view things. And, you know, it's not the interaction just with our, our physicians anymore and how care was delivered. It's really, it's the interactions when you go to the grocery store and you use an app, when you go to Starbucks and you use an app, that that convenience is now embedded in everything we do, whether it's a hotel at the front, the front desk. So I think that's really where we're focused, right? How do we make care convenient? You know, and what age cohorts? Because, you know, we have a younger cohort that they they appreciate and want that convenience and they want that interaction. And then we have a more senior cohort that likes that one-on-one -on -one interaction. So I think it's really around the personalization of what every individual wants and how care is going to be delivered. Um, so we are focused on the outside competitors um, on how they do it. But, you know, maybe we're a little brazen about this, but like I said, we have the human capital. We have the expertise. We'll build the tech around it to make sure that we can deliver on that. Yeah, and I was just going to ask next, and you just alluded to it. I, you mentioned the human capital side and you know, traditional providers are obviously the incumbents here in this space. As I like to call it, they have a home field advantage on these uh, retail experiences, retail offerings. Does that invite some complacency and or is it a case where the financial climate being what it is, hospitals have no choice but to be more innovative right now? You know, I I think it's a combination. I think the smart health systems will realize they don't have a choice. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, right? If you look at, you know, I think the bad thing is when healthcare starts looking at disruptors and says, oh my God, you know, should we give up this piece? Should we give up this? As opposed at looking at as opposed to looking at the disruptors and saying, okay, all right, we see the good in some of what they're doing, but there's a lot of value and good at what we're doing, right? So either how do we affiliate? Or how do we build that tech out ourselves to make sure that we use our strengths, you know, to kind of to move the needle. So, you know, I think it's a wake up call. I think it's coming quicker than healthcare would have liked and quicker than we all would have liked. I think the amount of resources we have to focus on this is never going to play out with what Apple or Google or Microsoft has. But, you know, healthcare is incredibly resilient and I'm sure we're going to figure a way to get this done. And that leads me into my next question. There's a bit of give and take with whether you want to partner with some of these disruptors or, you know, view them strictly as competitors. I think there's a lot of obviously consolidation going on in the industry right now, um, not just between providers and these disruptors, but between hospitals uh, and other health systems and uh, hospitals. How are you viewing the consolidation side of things right now and specifically to Atlantic Care? Uh, it's a health system surrounded by plenty of other big health systems in that area, in that region. And there was a merger with Geisinger that had unraveled. How do you see the future with Atlanticare possibly consolidating or merging? Um, and how independent would you like to be? So I can tell you unequivocally, Atlanticare will, will remain independent. You know, we don't look at the Geisinger situation necessarily as a failure. We learn it as we use it as a learning opportunity. You know, both organizations came together for the right reasons. You know, there was a health plan there, and we thought that we could really push value-based care. Now, for a multitude of reasons, geography and so forth, that that necessarily didn't work out, right? But the rationale behind it was the right rationale. So the learning is that 
you know, we will remain independent. We have a big balance sheet. We have critical mass in our market and we're growing. We're growing and we'll grow out those key services and we will continue to grow at a, at a larger clip than we are now. I think the thing that we will do though is we will look where other organizations in maybe things that we want to venture into may have the intellectual capital, may have the human capital, may have the ability to get us there quicker. And if we can facilitate that ability, whether it's an affiliation, a JV, a NUCO, um, to get there quicker, uh, instead of organically having to grow everything and finance everything ourselves, we would obviously be open to that. Because I think in the broad scheme, that's not just a business decision, that's what's best for patient care. The quicker you can deliver quality and exceptional service and value to, to our consumers, that's the right decision. So we're fully open to that. And we're always actively having conversations with other health systems, with other outside entries into healthcare, understanding could we deliver greater value to our patients, better access. I mean, that's the right conversation to be having. Well, that's all the questions I had for you, Michael. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and we'll be interested to see how you and Atlantic Care move forward into 2024 and beyond. I wanna thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know it must be pretty hectic for you right now. Um, so I, once again, we appreciate you joining us today. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate the opportunity and it was great being with you this afternoon. And thank you to Walters Kluwer for sponsoring this episode and to you for tuning in. We'll be back next Tuesday with more healthcare industry insights.